It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions on the Rookie of the Year race, the antitrust exemption in Major League Baseball, and minor league outfielders J.J. Bleday of the Marlins and Hunter Bishop of the Giants. Let's get after it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before because Bet Online is where the game starts. And speaking of Bet Online, our buddy Jimmy Shapiro with Bet Online just reached out because we have new Rookie of the Year odds. A couple of you asked for an update on the race, so let's do it. Uh, American League, it is very much down to a three man race. There's a couple guys still on the board outside of the top three. Joe Ryan's at 25 to 1. Uh, he had gotten as high as, I think, 9 to 2 this year. Adley Rutschman's still on the board, opened at 9 to 2 back in March. During the season, because the triceps injury and getting delayed, uh, didn't get any higher than 10 to 1 when he first got called up in June. Right now, it's 16 to 1. But right now, your three favorites in the clubhouse Bobby Witt and Jeremy Pena, both at 6 to 1. Witt stayed the same. Pena backed off a bit. He had been 5 to 2. And Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez is, is a 513 odds. So he is the favorite. And all three of these guys have had interesting starts to the season. Julio Rodriguez struck out 37% of the time in the first month. 205, 284, 260. But since then, um, has rarely struck out, especially struck out looking. That was a big storyline, was he had struck out looking so many times, and they had been very borderline calls, very, very not obvious strikes. Um, since that first month, he's only had 14 strikeouts looking since then. But on the season right now, um, he is he is 79 games in, 273, 334, 468, 13 home runs, 20 stolen bases, leads the American League in stolen bases with 20. So very much, you know, 802 OPS, 133 OPS plus. Uh, worth three war. I absolutely see how he is leading the boards on this. Uh, has played has played pretty good defense. Uh, has played every game, just about every game in center field. 79 games he's been up. He's played 78 of those. Uh, he was off one day and they had a pinch hit. So he's pretty much played every day. So feel good about that. Fielding percentage of 992, two errors. Uh, I only think only one outfield assist, which is odd, but I just don't think a lot of folks are running on Julio Rodriguez. Bobby Witt. This is a Bobby Witt podcast. We've been saying that since January. Uh, Number two in the odds. He's been worth nine-tenths of a war. So similar situation where that first month didn't look amazing. Uh, His was, he couldn't stop chasing. He was, he was, he was uh, chasing. I think he was 35% swing percentage on pitches. Uh, So, was chasing a lot, but has calmed that down. 236, 283, 444 is the slash line right now. 11 home runs, 12 stolen bases. Leads, 
all of baseball with five triples. So he's flashing the speed. He's played both third and uh, short. Started off at third, got about 30 games in there when Alberto Mondesi tore his ACL, shifted over from third to shortstop. 47 games since then, 964 fielding percentage. Uh, he's had six errors, converted 14 double plays. So I think he's actually technically minus right now on defense. Uh, still comes out to 0.9 war for the entire season per baseball reference. So you have to clarify which one it is. So number two in the race. Number three, Jeremy Pena. A guy that I think being hurt uh, missed a little bit of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, missing some time because he was hurt did not help him a little bit in these odds. Uh, 266, 318, 444 slash line. So it's an OPS plus 117. He's been worth three war playing every game he's been eligible at shortstop. Uh, 957 fielding percentage, 10 errors. Had a little bit of early early season jitters where he struggled a little bit. Uh, was injured in the Jordan Alvarez um, collision in the outfield last week. And then just Sunday afternoon, hit a walk off of the Angels to, to give the Astros the game. But has stepped up and filled in for Carlos Correa more than admirably. And you have to be happy with what you've gotten. So there you're, you're clear and obvious top three in the American League. National League, wide open race, couple new entrants in this race. So uh, the only guys that are better than 10 to 1 odds, Nolan Gorman's 9 to 1. Brendan Donovan's 9 to 1. But I want to focus on on three or four guys right here. Spencer Strider went from off the board to seven and one, seven to one odds. Eighteen games, seven starts. He's four and two, two eighty seven ERA, one point zero zero six WHIP, ninety strikeouts to twenty three walks. He's been worth one point six WAR, and has an ERA plus of one fifty three. Uh, a guy that. Late round, like sorry, a draftee last year came up for a couple games in the season last year for Atlanta, was in the bullpen. They moved him to the fifth spot in the rotation. And other than one or two iffy outings, he's looked really good uh, starting. He's done everything you could ask a fifth starter to do. And so at this point, I don't necessarily think he's going to climb any more unless he just continues to coast, but you're looking at a situation where he's going to hit an innings limit where he hasn't been that effective or he hasn't had to go that deep in his career. Plus, Atlanta's looking at getting so many guys back in the second half, including possibly Mike Soroka. So it's a situation where there's a possibility that Atlanta moves him back to the bullpen to try to manage his innings and or help his workload. I don't quite know what's going to happen there, but... He's in fourth place, tied for second, Mackenzie Gore and O'Neill Cruz. Let's get Mackenzie Gore first. 12 games, 11 starts, 4 and 3, 334 ERA, 1.33 whip, 65 wa- uh, strikeouts to 28 walks. So it's, he's worth one war. His ERA plus is 117. Um, Mackenzie Gore, at, at one point, I think it was June 1st, was a 2 to 1 favorite to win this. And at the pace he's going, he'll be a top a top finisher. I just don't necessarily know if he's going to do it. Another guy where you have questions about workload, you have questions about can he handle this, you know, like as he gets up in the innings, what's going to happen? And so uh, something where I just, I wonder how he's going to do with that full season there. Um, O'Neal Cruz, 
brief mention, four to one as well. He had opened at three to one back in March. He was stuck in the minors for a while. He he dropped as low as twenty five to one back on here in the top tie for, for second, third. If there's two guys and they're and they're they have the second best odds, they're tied for tied for second, and then Strider's fourth. Okay, I'd remember that from golf. So. Uh, small sample size, 13 games, right? 220, 294, 80, three home runs. Great defense. I will say great defense. I think in the same game, he had one of the hardest hit balls of the season and the hardest infield throw of the season. And it was like his third game of the year. So um, playing good defense, hitting well, very, very small sample size. He's been worth 0.3 war. His OPS plus is exactly 100. So exactly, essentially average. You want to see him do a little bit more. Obviously, again, small samples. Can't trust it too much. The big guy we got to talk about, Michael Harris for the Braves. 33 games, 308, 341, 500. Four home runs, exceptional outfield defense. So he's been worth 1.1 war and 127 OPS plus. But the thing that Michael Harris was able to do, so you remember we uh, talked about it when he first came up. 50-something games in the high minors, and they were all in double-A. Called him up. They have him batting ninth. So Atlanta's not asking him to do too much. He's batting ninth. He's been batting ninth the whole time. And so far, it seems to have worked. He is, in essence, like another leadoff man. So he'll get on. Right, right behind him is either Ronald Acuna or Dansby Swanson. And then the rest of this top of the offense, you know, uh, Matt Olson and Austin Riley, things like that. So you're in a situation where offensively he's not being asked to carry the team. So he's able to contribute, obviously, 33 games. Again, sample size, half of a 2020 here. But uh, is, is answering some of the questions about his contact tool. The defense has been fantastic. And I think the bigger thing is the cascade effect it's allowed to have. So Adam Duvall, the slugger was in center field all season. We've talked about this on this show. We've talked about it. I've talked about it on other shows as well. Being a big guy and playing center field is so tough on your legs. And that's the reason that the Braves didn't want to put Ronald Acuna back in center field. Even when Acuna was coming back, they were going to leave Duvall in center because they didn't want to do the wear and tear on Acuna's legs of playing center field every day. Well, you could see it in Duvall's numbers. You could see it in his performance. and so. Bringing Michael Harris up has let them move Adam Duvall back to either left field if Acuna's in the game or if Acuna's either DH or has a day off playing right field. And it's dramatically helped with his performance, keeping him fresh, keeping him healthy, and letting his bat and his power come back. So it's had a cascade effect. If this continues, you bat over 300, you play amazing defense. Um, you're, you're, I think Michael Harris is your favorite for National League Rookie of the Year and will continue for a while. In just a minute, I want to get to a question we had from Ricky about the antitrust exemption in baseball and what it means. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and your sports info. You can get the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news. Obviously, Major League Baseball, you've got um, fighting sports, MMA, UFC, boxing. You've got golf. They've got two tours now. That's wild. Um, but BetOnline.net's the best spot for all your sports scores, your podcasts, your news. You can even do live betting and esports. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because BetOnline is where the game starts. 
So there was a letter sent this week. And the letter was from the Senate Judiciary Committee. And it was sent to our friends at Advocates for Minor Leaguers. And the, the committee was asking about the antitrust exemption in baseball and what impact it had on the minor leagues and what removing it and or repealing the, the America's Baseball was America's Pastime Act, what that would do. So there's been a lot of stuff written about the antitrust exemption and point you to a couple places. Baseball Prospectus has been really good about it. They've covered it quite a bit. Mark Normandin, who coincidentally writes for Baseball Prospectus as well as has his own blog and newsletter that's baseball coverage, he's written about it as well. Uh, but let's back up a bit. We did an explainer earlier in the season, but the antitrust exemption to answer Ricky's question about what it is and why does this letter matter. So this comes back to a 1922 Supreme Court ruling. The Sherman Antitrust Act is a bill in essence that says the government is not going to let you have a monopoly. They are not going to let you have a monopoly or they're not going to let multiple companies cooperate to the extent that those companies together have a monopoly on the market. Um, so the antitrust exemption came about in 1922 where there was a lawsuit from a, from a baseball league, the federal league tried to be a competitor to the national and American leagues. And the American League and the National League decided together, hey, we're going to put them out of business. And they did. And so the Federal League sued them. And the ruling by the Supreme Court that baseball was intrastate, I-N-T-R-A, as in it did not cross state lines, which, as we think about it now, is ridiculous. The, the Atlanta Braves travel to Cincinnati and play the Reds. They've crossed state lines. I'm watching the game in a different state than it was air like than it than it was done in. So the broadcast cross state line. This is all interstate commerce. Interstate commerce can be regulated um, by by Congress and is and there's different standards for it. Well, back then it didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily treated like that. Uh, the thought there was very much about physical goods, and so. When they, when they had this case in 1922, in essence, they said, this is not supposed to be covered by this. They're not covered by the Sherman Antitrust Act, which means they have an exemption. They have an antitrust exemption. But this really should be regulated by Congress. That's what they said in 1922. There was another case in 1953. Congress had not yet addressed it. And in essence, Supreme Court said, yeah, we're just going to leave it as it is. We're not changing anything. Congress has to fix this. 1972, um, there was another case. And there was a slight carve out in the antitrust exemption. But other than that, it still exists. So what the antitrust exemption does it gives baseball, Major League Baseball, like Big B Baseball, gives them a lot of power 
to specify rules, pay structures, salary, organization, and everything that you normally would not get from 30 separate companies working together. Uh, So, clarify a couple things. The Major League Baseball players are not subject, like they're not, there's nothing in the antitrust that, that affects them because they have contracts that are collectively bargained between the union and Major League Baseball. So they're separate from this. Antitrust really impacts the minor leagues. And it impacts the minor leagues because, one, Major League Baseball's 30 teams can set rules on how to enter minor league baseball. They can set rules as to the pay that everybody gets across every organization. They can decide which affiliates are part of the organization and which ones are not. And the lawsuit that is pending to go right now is from two teams that were left out of the reorganization shuffle in 2020. So, long story short, because of the antitrust exemption, minor league baseball can do things that protects their monopoly and prevents competition that basketball can't do, that baseball, I'm sorry, that football can't do, that hockey can't do. That's why you see so many football leagues pop up because there's nothing NFL can do to stop them. Baseball, they absolutely can stop other professional baseball leagues from starting up. They can do different things. They can limit, again, they can limit the compensation of the players, all of that. So the Senate Judiciary Committee, that is the committee that would be in charge of antitrust legislation. You can pass a bill that removes the antitrust exemption from Major League Baseball. If that happens, what that means is your options are either A, unionize the minor leagues and negotiate with the union to set all of the pay and everything, or B, in essence, it becomes open free competition. I could start a minor league baseball team. I can try to become an affiliate, um, but teams can pay players differently. You can have you know competitive salaries. The big thing is you're also not allowed to set the salary at the major league level. You can't say, hey, all minor leaguers in A-ball make 400 a week. You can't do that because that is now collusion. That is something like, that is you are working together to limit wages of what should be considered employees. That's a whole nother topic. So if the antitrust exemption is withdrawn or is rescinded, there is a lot of positives that come out of that for the players, come out of that for the affiliates and the organizations. The, some of the big concerns are, one, if there is some sort of retroactive liability. So if I, let's say I was a career minor leaguer. I played for seven years and I never made it to MLB. If I could sue for the missing salaries I didn't get after whatever new pay skills come in place, because when I was a minor leaguer, there was an antitrust exemption and they colluded to set those salaries, that's retroactive liability. Letting me go back and do that. If the Supreme Court just rescinds the antitrust exemption, there will be a question of whether or not there is retroactive liability. 
So what needs to happen is Congress needs to pass something themselves. And when they remove the antitrust exemption, specify there is no retroactive liability. Players in the past who were harmed by this do not have whatever recourse to go back and sue under these amorphous terms. But going forward, you must allow competition. You must allow the the market to work, et cetera, et cetera. So the Supreme Court recently went after the NCAA with the whole student-athlete distinction. And so that's that's part of the only reason that I think you're going to see any sort of traction here. And a lot of some of the changes that you have seen have been because of threats by Congress. Um, the Supreme Court justices mentioned Major League Baseball when they wrote up about the, about the NCAA versus Allison decision. When they wrote that up, they mentioned Major League Baseball in it. And so because of all of that, I think there may be a real appetite for Congress to go out there and say, hey, you have to make people's lives better. You have to let these players compete for better wages. You have to let the free market and let teams have the ability to pay, you know, to pay extra or benefits or whatever it may be that they're currently not allowed to do now. So I'm trying to keep it high level. There's a lot of super specific and pedantic little points in this. But the point is, if the Senate Judiciary Committee decides that they want the antitrust exemption repealed. Major League Baseball has the options to either A, take steps on their own to improve the lives of minor leaguers, which some of this pressure they have been doing. The housing policy is new. Pay raises, um, food being covered by by the organization, things like that. That's all stuff that was MLB did on their own because of the threat of the antitrust exemption being taken away. Or MLB's other option is to go fight it. Uh, It is to try to go in front of court, go in front of Congress, and say, no, we deserve the right to treat these minor leaguers, um, not even like investments, but just to pay them almost nothing, and they should be happy for the privilege of paying for us. And let's see how well that works. Because right now, um, I feel like getting minor leaguers paid actual wages is a pretty easy slam dunk in an election year to say you want to work on. So it feels like there's an appetite to attack that. Um, Let's see what MLB does. Let's see what the Senate Judiciary Committee does. It is still the government. So I will not hold my breath on something being done, but know that there is an option. And if something is done, the only thing that's going to happen right away is that the lives of minor leaguers will get better. Because MLB either whether they're forced to through competition or whether they do it to try to stave off losing the exemption, they will make the players' lives better to avoid having this outcome. Let's see if it works. In just a minute, I want to answer some questions from Twitter about a couple uh, minor league prospects, um, some outfielders who have questions about how well they're going to do at the big league level and if they get there or not. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Um, You've probably tried... The Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar. And if you haven't, what are you doing? Go try it. It's great. It's Coconut and Brownie Chunk. Come on. But they now have that in a puff. So it's the Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love in a delicious and chewy marshmallow. And then that's covered in 100% real chocolate. It's a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. 
I mean, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, they are good for you. Um, this is one of the limited time things. So we, I, I've told you about this before. There are some flavors that are all the time. There are some flavors that are seasonal. They'll bring it in the shamrock one. They'll bring it in in the spring around St. Patrick's Day and they'll get rid of it again. And then there's some that are limited time. We make it. When it sells out, we're done. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are one of those limited time things. When we sell out, it's done for a while. So go to built.com, order your box of coconut brownie chunk built puffs right now. At built.com, promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. Okay, questions from Twitter. Uh, first one is from Jim, and he said and he asked about JJ Bleday. And long story short on the question is decent, decent power numbers, but is but is his batting average is low. Is he just swinging for the fences every time? What's going to happen? So, uh, first rounder in 2019 by the Marlins. Fourth overall pick out of Vandy. 6'2", 197. And honestly, had a bad 2021. Didn't hit for average. Uh, 212 batting average. Didn't hit for power. Had 12 home runs in 110 games. His last one was 212, 323, 373. He put in some work after the season. Uh, he went to to um, the fall league, to instructional, uh, did some work. They trusted him enough to send him to AAA this year anyway. Even though, going off of the numbers, he should have gone back to AA. 222, 364, 464 right now. 17 home runs in 71 games. Um, one for two on steals. So, not really a big part of his game. But... The thing here, so I'm going to get back to the, to the um, offense in just a second. Defensively, I think he could be a plus defender in right. He's been playing a lot of center. I think he's going to be a plus defender in right. Speed's average. He's got plus arm strength. Um, they've done a lot of work with him offensively. They've changed his handset. They've changed his posture. They've changed a little bit to his swing. Um, his raw power started to look some of those... Changes started to take hold in the fall league. They look good there. I think when you look at him this year, batting average is only up 10 points. Yes. Um, Last year, he walked 64 times in 110 games. He's at 52 walks right now in 71 games. So he's almost eclipsed last year's number in 40 less games. Uh, Home runs, he's already passed last year's home run total. Um. His on-base percentage is up 40 points. His slugging percentage is up 90 points. So some of the changes have worked. Um, I do still think sometimes that he doesn't... There's two things here. One, Jim, you're right. He is just overly aggressive sometimes at the plate. And I think part of that is he has a really good knowledge of the strike zone. So he knows what he should be able to swing at and make contact with. The issue is... He doesn't always make solid contact on the pitches he should be hitting hard, if that makes sense. I, I, don't, quite un, I qu- don't quite know why. I think it's something where the load in his stance, he kind of gets stuck in the backside of the swing, and I, 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 I'm not really sure. I'm sure if, if, if I don't, I mean, if I don't, I mean, if, if Miami doesn't know, there's no way I'm going to know. But there's, 
there's some other little tweak that's going to have to happen to unlock this for him. Uh, but, I mean, I will say that much better 2022 for the most part. Batting average is still not where you want it to be. I don't necessarily think he's going to get called up in the next couple weeks. I think he's a guy you're going to wait for a while on. You want to see him continue to make progress on the on-base, in the slugging especially, because that's what kind of where you saw him is he's got power to all fields. But you want him to get better impact on those middle-of-the-zone pitches he's supposed to be hitting, uh, those mistake pitches. So, and then you want to see him just be more consistent with making contact in the zone. So, I look for him to spend the rest of the year probably in AAA. He got as high as the number two prospect in 2020 and 2021. Uh, Right now, he's kind of sitting around the ninth or tenth best prospect. And there's a question of, is he going to recover some of that? I think eventually he will. I think these changes have been sticking. They're going to continue. I just want to see him get more, more time to build the muscle memory with that swing. And then Helmut had a question about Hunter Bishop with the San Francisco Giants. 2019 first rounder out of Arizona State. And the big thing here, 6'3", 212, big boy. Big thing here is he's got lots of talent. He's just barely been on the field. So uh, 2019, he got seven games in rookie ball and then had 25 games in high A before turf toe into the season. Lost to 2020. As I understand it, he had COVID, so he actually could not go to the alternate site and instructional leagues because, like, he had COVID. Uh, 2021, he starts back out in, in, in rookie ball, gets, like, 11 games there, and then goes to high A, gets three games in there, injures his shoulder, done for just about the rest of the year. Though it plays a grand total of, like, 16 games last year. So he's played 32 games in 2019 between rookie and high A. Uh, between rookie and A ball last year, he plays 16 games. So you just don't have a lot of like a lot of tape of him and what he's done. Uh, this year, 65 games in high A Eugene, 236, 328, 430, 11 home runs, 17 and 19 on stolen bases. I will remind you um, some of these leagues that have the pickoff rules and the pitch clock, some of the uh, stolen base numbers have been a little bit inflated, especially the ones that also have the automated balls and strikes. Um, so, but he is one of the better athletes in the system, one of the better, um, one of the better defenders. I think he profiles as a corner guy, probably left. His arm is below average, and I don't think it's necessarily that close. So, he's going to be. Uh, probably a left fielder. The question is offensively. He's got tons of he's got plenty of raw power. He needs to make enough contact for that to matter. He needs to be able to get that raw power into games. And right now, he's not consistent enough offensively for that power to show up. It doesn't matter if you can hit tanks if you can't put a bat on the ball. 236, 328, 430, 11 home runs. I mean, Good numbers, right? 93 strikeouts in 65 games. And so he, he doesn't make contact enough. And the thing that I hate for him, because of the way that uh, the calendar works, and unless they change the rules on this, which they could, but the end of this year in December, you have to make a Rule 5 decision on Hunter Bishop. And so what that means is you either 
have to put him on your 40-man roster or leave him unprotected. And if he is unprotected, any other organization can take him in the Rule 5 draft. That'll be this December. He is right now 24 in high A. And so it is hard to take a 24-year-old who is in high A and say, we are going to protect him with one of our 40-man spots. So unless he dramatically picks it up this season, statistically, I see him as a guy that is one of those classic change of scenery guys, right? Has a little bit of struggles, is in the organization's mind probably a little bit underwhelming from what they were expecting. He gets claimed by somebody else in the Rule 5 draft, goes to his new organization, and just tears it up. You have He's one of these guys, I talked about the very first week I had this show, about the Rule 5 draft this fall could dramatically impact some organizations with the talent that you're able to get if you can scout them correctly and if you can figure out who is worth taking. And there's going to be guys that are hurt by not having the 2020 season because you have to make a Rule 5 decision on them perhaps before you would be ready to do that. And Hunter Bishop is a classic example of a guy who you are not ready to make a Rule 5 draft decision on, but you're going to have to in December. And as it stands right now, if I'm the San Francisco Giants, I'm leaving him unprotected. Knowing that somebody else is probably going to take him and it's going to work out. And that's frustrating. But it's been a combination of bad luck, injuries, things like that. Great week coming up. We're heading up to the draft. I got a lot of crossovers this week with MLB teams. We're talking trade deadline. We're talking draft. We're also obviously, Farm Friday still a thing. We're going over some mock drafts tomorrow. Not a lot of, not a ton of new breaking changes, but a lot of just new information filtering out as far as teams' preferences for guys and who they're looking at. So stay tuned for that. But until then, this has been Locked on MLB Prospect. Mm-hmm. 